Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is the famous Eric Brewer, the founder of the Brewer Method, the king of the Brewer Method innovation contracts. You're going to hear me talk about it a lot, but this is the guy who comes up as being responsible for probably 50% of the highest level real estate investors I know right now. He's probably responsible for 50% of their revenue for the last, I don't even know however many years. So as the market's been turning, I've heard some of the highest level players saying, hey, if it wasn't for Eric Brewer and the Brewer Method, I don't even know if I'll be in business right now because his method and the way we've implemented into our business has gotten us deals that we would have never gotten, made us money we never would have had, found sellers that we would never have had to sell these deals to. So if all you're doing is wholesaling and flipping and you don't have this brew method in your arsenal, you are missing out big time. So it's an amazing opportunity. It's such a great thing. And uh, he does a really, really great job of explaining it and giving some amazing tips on this podcast. So this is one you are going to want to keep notes by you, take notes, probably listen to multiple times over and over again, because he talks about all the different ways to find properties that people cannot wait to get out of. As you'll see, we came up with this tagline and find people that want to buy them they can't wait to get in so if you can get a property that somebody can't wait to get out you can get a great deal and if you could sell it to a person that can't wait to get in you're going to sell it for an amazing price which means you can make more money so how does that work how do you look at these deals how do you find these deals how do you analyze these deals how do you sell these deals what does the paperwork look like what's the best price points what's the best conditions how is this affected if the market starts to change we talk all that plus more on this amazing episode of the a-game podcast with eric brewer to find the full episode if you have not already the fee for having these amazing guests come on and give you guys free gold to make more money and save more time is just to subscribe and interact so if you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S, you will find all the ways to subscribe to this show, whether you want to listen to it or watch it on YouTube. It is anywhere and everywhere. You'll also find the ways to connect me on social media from Instagram to TikTok to Facebook to YouTube to all those different things. My huge request for you guys, the only ask I have is please interact in those posts, subscribe to the podcast, follow me on Instagram. When you see me post stuff, I'm going to post a bunch of clips from this episode. Let Eric know that you like them. Let Eric know that this content is impacting you by liking the post, hitting the share button takes two seconds. Put a comment in there. Ask him questions. Let him know you're seeing this stuff. Let him know what your thoughts are, questions, concerns, anything having to do with this. Like It's an amazing time to interact. And the way we keep getting great, great guests on here is by you guys letting them know that you're seeing and appreciating the content so they want to spread the word and pass on more referrals for more amazing people to come on and talk about how they bring their A-game to their business please interact on social media. Also, this whole thing is based on me doing real estate with you guys. So I want to do more deals together in 2023, 2024, 2025. So the way we can start that conversation is just to text me the words real estate to 516-540-5733. Again, just text the words real estate to 516-540-5733. And then we can make some time to discuss if you want to sell properties to me, if you want to buy properties from me, or on a base level, if you don't even know how you want to invest, you just know we want to start to invest together. Maybe we partner together. Who knows? Let's have that conversation. Text me directly, 516-540-5733. And last but certainly not least, go to nicknicknick.com slash biggerpockets to find all the ways to get a free checklist to bring more value to your buyers as a real estate agent, broker, or wholesaler. The last thing here is Eric is going to talk about how he can teach you guys how to get into innovation agreements, how to do the Brewer Method. He literally has a library of courses and documents and online training and on-hand training that he does like a live coaching group call for 12 weeks. He's got a whole bunch of stuff. So if you want like a full step-by-step -step library with all the help, all the documentation, all the web modules, all that kind of stuff to ways the step-by-step -step A to Z gets a innovation agreement done in the next 12 weeks, Definitely check the show links because he's going to give a special promo code for you guys that if you go through our show links and let him know that we sent you over, you get a huge discount 
on his course, on his classes and on his help. So I am doing that course. I'm doing that class. Um, you know, to me, I'm a big believer in education. I'm always trying to find people that are doing things bigger and better than me. And how do I just learn from them instead of making my own mistakes? So if you were like me and you would like to get involved and learn some of that stuff, definitely go to nicknicknick.com slash links and under affiliates, just click on that link. It will start the conversation with Eric to learn the brewer method and get you the A game podcast discount. So I appreciate him offering that to you guys. I didn't even realize that was something he was going to do, but he told me off air. And I thought it was awesome, but he's always been a stud, a super nice guy. I met him in person. We've had multiple phone calls and this podcast proved again, this guy's a genius, good, good dude, down to earth guy, absolutely killing it, kicking butt, taking names. And now I can teach you how to do the same as well. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Eric Brewer, A-Game Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, have a fantastic day. All right. My guest today is a military veteran who worked on helicopters and was a lost soul in high school looking for a better path like myself at the time, and he transitioned into the car business, fighting out of Pennsylvania. Then he was becoming a dad and decided to make a decision to transition into the car, out of the car business and into houses, becoming a lender and specializing in finance. He then began his journey as a real estate investor. He started using the skills he acquired in his past life experiences to begin crushing the investment game, doing over 70 deals in his first year, now doing well over 200 deals a year, and went from flipping to put together what is known for today, which is uh, from installment loans, eventually going into novation agreements known today as the Brewer Method, which he is famous for. He has been a massive reason for some of the biggest investors in the game right now, still being profitable in this changing market. We're going to go deep into that topic and how it can help you today. He is one of the most well-known and well-respected entrepreneur, speakers, and investors in the real estate game, specializing in turnkeys, burrs, flips, trade of financing, wholesaling. He is a husband, a father of five with one on the way any minute now, literally. He has done it all, including being punched in the face by a seller, all kinds of crazy stuff. I am very excited to talk to you. I've been wanting you on for a long time and watching your stuff for a long time. You're an absolute stud. Congratulations on one of your sons recently getting a scholarship to Seton Hall. Plenty to talk about. Plenty to congratulate you on. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast, Mr. Eric Brewer. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. That's a heck of an intro. <laughs> I always tell everybody, I can't have an A-game podcast and bring like a C-game intro. You got you to gotta start it out fresh. Facts. Right? <laughs> well, for people who are living under a rock and aren't 100% familiar with you, can you give a little bit of a 30,000-foot view of who you are and where you came from? Yeah. Uh, I think, like you said, number one for me is I'm a, I'm a father and a husband. Um, I have five children with my wonderful wife, Sonia. Um, six on the way. Uh, you and I talked a little bit about um, what was going on today. She's at the hospital right now on standby. Um, so I'm on high alert waiting for the call. Um, we have a baby boy coming, Eric Jr. Um, he's not due till May 11th. So um, we'll see how that works out. But hopefully everything will go smoothly and we'll have a healthy baby boy here soon enough. But um, I'm a real estate investor born and raised in South Central Pennsylvania. Um, I'm actually closer. Most people, when they think of PA, they always ask me if I'm from Philly. Philly is about two hours east of me. Um, I'm actually really close to Baltimore, Maryland. I'm only 40 minutes north of, of Baltimore um, and about 20 minutes south of Harrisburg. So, you know, if you can kind of picture where that is on the map, that's where I'm located. Um, we operate currently um, in a few markets uh, this year. Well, last year we did just north of 400 deals um, and should do maybe closer to 450 or so this year. We've opened up another market in 2023 that we weren't operating in. Last year, um, we have just shy of 40 employees, uh, about 75% of that is in-house office, um, sales staff, W-2 employees. Um, we, you know, um, have a handful of VAs and some um, virtual employees that are stateside, but uh, live, you know, um, outside of this area. And um, yeah, we do a little bit of mix of wholesale, fixed and flip, turnkey, um, and we do about 150 innovation deals, um, a year and, uh, yeah, so that's a, an overview of what I got going on. Super impressive, man. I mean, every mastermind I go to like podcast, everything, everybody's always giving you a shout out, man. It's, it's really impressive. Thank so, you. I appreciate very it. Very happy to, to have you here. You've always been super nice to me and always give me time when we reach out. So I appreciate all that, man. But, you know, talking about some of the stuff that I think are, are very common traits is I think it's interesting because I heard you talk about how. You went and you had an idea and you just kind of went with it and you just started doing stuff and, and taking action and finding success. And I feel like a lot of people 
have these ideas or they have these things that they want to do, but they overcomplicate it or they, they get in their head or they feel like they have all these reasons why it's not the right time, not the right place, not the right, whatever it is. But one of my favorite quotes is how you do anything is how you do everything. And you found a way to basically work yourself from the entry level to the top of pretty much every industry you've been part of. What is your secret sauce for being able to just find an idea and implement it and just become successful? You know, number one, that's a great question. Number two, it's, I think my answer to that has changed probably five times in the last 20 years. Um, so 20 years ago, I probably would have told you it was just massive action. That's still a part of it, but massive action without focus. I think um, I can tell you from firsthand experiences got me into trouble. Um, you know, not everybody can appreciate um, the life of a visionary. And, uh, you know, when we, when we literally see something and believe it's possible, I've realized that I, I physically go through the process of experiencing it, right? Like if I think I can make a million dollars, I, I experiencing it before it ever happens. Like I fit, I can't spend it yet, but I physically go through the process of like feeling what it would feel like to make a million dollars, to have a company with 30 employees, to own the home. Um, you know, at the beach to drive a certain car to be able to help a certain amount of people. And, um, you know, so we we have a, a ton of energy and passion that goes into our work a lot of times as visionaries, but to the outsider, to the people that are working uh, alongside of us that are very critical to the success of that mission, if they don't understand that vision and where we're headed and get bought into it, um, you can burn through people quicker than you can hire them. So I've experienced that, right? Um, where I chased all these you know, shiny objects, or I was chasing this amount of deals or chasing this amount of money and dragging people along with me. And some people decided to, to hop off that train. Um, quite frankly, I, I realized that I would burn through really, really good people about every two and a half to three years. Um, I'd hire them from, I had this pattern of hiring people that were, um, you know, drastically underutilized, drastically underpaid. I'd teach them you know, how to sell, I'd teach them how to think bigger. Um, and they'd ride on momentum and, 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 you know, just, uh, adrenaline for two and a half years. And then I would just beat them down <laughs> after two and a half years. And they'd be like, I'm out, right? Like, it's been cool. I've learned a lot from you. Um, I appreciate the opportunity, but I can't work under these circumstances anymore. And, um, you know, so I think the important part now is, is massive action, the belief that anything's possible and you absolutely need to be able to communicate your vision and the why behind what you're doing to your people. And then you need a right-hand person that can help you integrate, filter those. Well, first filter them like, hey, this sounds like a crazy idea. You're nuts. No way I want to be part of that, right? I don't like hearing that, but sometimes it's exactly <laughs> what I need to hear. Number two is, dude, that sounds freaking awesome. How can I help you make it happen, right? Um, and then let's consider all the sort of secondary tertiary um, problems or issues we could create if we just plug this thing into what we already have that's working. So I think, you know, now being able to look back and being at my age, I can say, what did I do that worked, but had some negative consequences? What did I do that worked? And I minimized the negative consequences. And let's try and happy, find a happy medium between the two. And I think that is it. Massive action, a bold belief that anything's possible, and then surrounding yourself with people that have an operational um, level of excellence that will minimize the damage you do um, being a, a bull in a china shop and trying to change the world. It's a phenomenal answer that brings up two questions that I actually didn't even think about asking until you just brought that up. One of them being, you said you got to be around some people that will tell you either like you're crazy or how do I help you make that happen? Especially when we're talking about novations and things like this. A lot of people, I, I, I use the the term I say, I can teach for three days about people that confidently give me answers of like, man, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, you've tried that. I'm like, well, no, I mean, I, I never tried it, but I know a guy who knows a guy who tried this. Like, but people listen to people that have no idea. Yeah. Did you get a lot of that when you started saying, hey, I'm going to do these like installment loans and I'm going to do this novation stuff. I'm going to go from the car business into the real estate business and do 75 deals a year. You did know, you have a lot of people around you that kind of made that really. Um, and, and, you know, if I'd sort of unpack that a little bit to figure out why. Um, I started in 2005, you know, so in 2005 with the absence of social media, um, most people operated in their corner, their, their little corner of the world. Right. So what I was doing, there might've only been a very small group of people that even knew what I was, what I was considering doing and what the risk may be. And, 
you know, there was only maybe a half a dozen people or so that could even give me feedback. And 75% of them, you know, over time, you learn to tune out or turn up a little bit, depending on the circumstances. Like, I don't always want good advice. Sometimes I just want someone to cheerlead for me and, and tell me that, yeah, that is crazy, but I'll support you. Right. And um, so, no, there wasn't a whole lot of resistance. Um, I remember when I made that transition from the auto business, um, which I was just burned out, dude. It was the, the hours and the, just the nature of that business for me had, had kind of run its course. And that was right at the, the time that I, I had my first child. And I, I knew it was going to be really hard for me to balance being a good car dude and being a good dad. And, uh, you know, I had to pick between the two and certainly being a good father was the obvious choice. And I, you know, uh, consulted with my dad about what to do. And, um, you know, he was super helpful for me at the time because I thought I was only good at selling cars. And he's like, well, I mean, son, like selling is selling, managing is managing, marketing is marketing. I bet you would be really good at selling anything. What would, what would you be able to sell and what would you be able to, to, to leverage your experience and maybe move into a place to where, you know, some of the restrictions about the car business wouldn't be an issue for you there. And I happen to have some friends that were loan officers. I had sold cars and were friends with people that were real estate agents. So I just kind of talked to them about it. So they were already doing you know, what I wanted to do. So I wasn't going to get any negative feedback from them. Right. Um, and if I did, turns out they probably weren't as good of friends. Like if you're doing it, you're telling me I can't do it. What are you trying to say about me? <laughs> and um, I'd always been a really good salesperson. So, you know, when I talked to these people around me about thinking about getting into real estate sales, I got a ton of support. Um, you know, so I don't ever really remember um, and maybe that's by accident now that you say it. I didn't never really get anybody to tell me you can't do that. You shouldn't do it. It's too risky. Um, I've never really had to deal with much of that or it was happening and I just tuned it out, which could have been the case anyway. My number one core value is perspective. And our definition of that is um, to have a can-do attitude. So sometimes people tell me things aren't going to happen and I just ignore it. So maybe that happened or maybe I just had a really good circle of uh, friends and family that were super supportive. One of the two, I guess. That's awesome, man. You know, you also brought up how you can visualize or pass on what your visions are to your team. And that really helps a long way. I feel like a lot of people aren't good at that. I, I use the example in jujitsu. A lot of the times there's guys that can kick my butt, but they have no ability to teach me about how they did that or break that down in a way I can understand it. Did you, were you always good? Because obviously we're going to talk about the brew method and the way you coach as well. You definitely have a knack for that, which not a lot of people have. I know you coach football. Was that something that you already kind of had that coach in you that you've always been good at really verbalizing and visualizing and explaining things to people? Or did you just develop that through coaching and practice? Um, yeah, it's definitely been a, a work in, in progress for me to, to try and evolve as a, as, a, as a boss, as a manager, as a leader. Um, there's a ton of similarities between that and coaching you know, a basketball team or coaching a football team or coaching a baseball team. And I would tell you in the beginning, I was actually pretty bad at it. Um, I was one of, you know, I grew up in the car business in the nineties, right. And for someone that might not be familiar with that, it was, it's literally like what you see in some of these slapsticks comedy movies, right? Like just, it was the wild, wild West. I mean, it was literally, I mean, I used to have throw phones thrown at me. I got MF all the time you know, there was pranksters running around the dealership. Um, you know, it was a bunch of just wild and crazy frat dudes making 200 grand a year. And that's a dangerous combination, right? You give some nut job that barely graduated high school, $200,000 a year, and he's over the age of 21. There's a lot of stuff that can go bad. And uh, I kind of grew up in that, right? So my, my style of being managed had always been a very iron fist, do this because I said so. I literally just put up a, a post the other day. Um, you know, when, when we tell somebody to do something, right, there's still only one of us that know why and how to do it. When you teach somebody why to do something and how to do something, there's now two of us that know. So every time you tell somebody to do something, you've missed the opportunity to teach which every time we teach, we're able to basically multiply our abilities, right? It actually works out to be, you know, because if there's two of us and I tell you what to do, there's not two of us on a project that's like one and a half. It's 100% of my brain 
right? 50% of my effort and 50% of your effort. That, that, that's not two full people, right? It's actually one and a half. If I teach you how to do something and we share in the conversation about how to approach it, there's now three people really working at it, right? Like it's, it's more than just the two of us. So um, I, I used to be very telling and demanding and, and sort of a, you know, dictator style person. And now I've almost gone 180 degrees and I don't want to make any decisions. I want to help that person or help that team or help that group of people discover the right answer together as a group, or sometimes just push the responsibility back to them and say, Hey, Nick, I really trust you. Um, why don't you take this and run with it? And I'd love to hear about it when it's all done. And, um, you know, for me to even say that out loud now, it sounds crazy. Um, but I, I try and do a better job of that every day. And as a result, our business has grown and, and simultaneously my role has diminished. So as we keep doing more deals, going into more markets, making more money, keeping more money, buying more rentals, I'm actually less and less involved in the day to day. And for me, that's, you know, everybody's got a different reason why they get into business. They got a different reason why they show up every day. That is what it's all about for me to create opportunity for other people, expand the amount of meaningful relationships that I have and work on the stuff I want to work on, not the stuff that has to be worked on. And um, yeah, so I, I used to be probably the world's worst manager. Like literally I was a complete a-hole and um, yeah, I don't know that I'm the best one now, but I've definitely gotten better um, from, from when I started uh, about five years ago was when I really tried to figure out like, Hey man, there's gotta be a better way to do this. I had gone through about three cycles of those two and a half to three year turnovers it was, I invest a lot in people. I care deeply about people. So even to this day, when someone doesn't work out and they leave the organization, it, it eats at me a little bit. And I, I just, I was, I was emotionally exhausted and started looking for a better way. And, um, you know, so for five years, my, my focus has been to, to become a better leader. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate soon, whether you're beginner, intermediate or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesale, and fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Reach out to me on any of my social media channels. You will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. That's amazing, man. You know, I, I'm a big believer in, it's not an accident when people are successful. And the same way that you just looked at that and tried to keep saying, almost everything I hear you talk about, you go, I'm trying to find a better way to do this or a better way to be better at this. Yeah. And I feel like the same way you've adapted that pivoting to yourself personally for personal development, you've adapted that to your business and that's why you've always found success. So. Speaking of being able to adapt to that business and find ways to be better and adjust to markets, novations. So yeah. this is your thing. Like you're, it's known as a brewery method, um, completely unsolicited. Eric didn't pay me or ask me to say any of this stuff, but dude, I, I was just in a room with you. Shout out to Matt Andrews for the family mastermind yeah. and the rooms that you were not even in. There was people that would stop the room and be like, Hey, everybody, I just want to let you know that like I do title companies work or I do X, Y, and Z, or I work with all these lead generation guys and 40% of them would be out of business right now if it wasn't for Eric Brewer and his method or like 60% of the transactions this year were from novations that they learned from Eric yeah. Brewer. So I don't even know if you know that stuff goes on because you weren't even in the room, but it was amazing to watch some of the highest level players in the entire country just say like, man, my business wouldn't be where it is today if it wasn't for Eric Brewer. So congrats to you, man, because you're definitely Thank impacting you. people on a high level. You know how to kick butt and you know how to teach people to kick butt apparently. So- yeah. Talk a little bit about that, man. What is the Brewer Method? What is innovation agreement? Just like the basic one-on-ones. Yeah, let me start by saying, because it's amazing. Um, you know, innovations have been around for a hundred years. Um, I believe I'm the first person to um, sort of develop this current application. Um, so what it's not, or what my version of innovations is not, is it is not a fix and flip strategy that involves partnering with the seller. For a very long time, that was the version of Novations um, that was, you know, I wouldn't call it popular because there's a lot of moving parts to it. It's super risky because you're spending rehab money on a house you don't own. 
and we're partnering literally with an emotional seller, right? Like I don't like anything about that, that, that deal. Um, so what it's not is it does not require any renovation. It does not require any money. And we are certainly not partnering with anybody. So that is what is not. What, what I can describe a novation agreement as in its simplest terms is a wholesale style transaction. So what do I mean by that? No money, no renovations, and, and we make money, right? So wholesale style transaction on a property in wholesale condition. Everybody that's listening, that's done a handful of transactions, been around the real estate game should know what wholesale is, right? It's generally a property in, in, in a little bit better condition. It doesn't need a ton of work. And we're selling to a, whole, a retail buyer. So wholesale style transaction, wholesale condition property being sold to a retail buyer on the MLS. So why is that important? Well, if you knew that your end buyer would pay full retail, how much could you pay for a property? More is the answer. If you knew that you were selling your property to a retail buyer, would it open up the people that you're willing to help? The answer is absolutely. Right, Because when we get leads, and this is the biggest impact it has, when we get leads on properties that don't need a ton of work and the seller's not distressed, typically as a wholesaler or a fix and flipper, we discard that lead. There's no, there's, there's no discount, right? So like what I try and get people to abandon is this, this desire to get discount because we're so wholesale oriented. What you should be seeking is just margin. Margin can happen from wholesale to retail, from wholesale to wholesale from wholesale to retail, right? So when you start to learn novations, you'll look for margin, not discount. And there's a ton of margin when someone calls in and has a $400,000 property that they'll sell for 350. Most wholesalers, they're probably even calling that person back, right? They're going, ah, it's a bad lead, not motivated. Well, there's margin there. And when you learn novations, you can actually capitalize on that margin. Right. Normally we wouldn't take that deal down because by the time I close on a 350 property, I take title, I pay lending fees, transfer tax. Then we create the seasoning period that, you know, causes a lot of problems for FHA loans and, you know, double appraisals and 90 day restrictions. We avoid all of that when we do novation. So bottom line is wholesale style transaction, wholesale condition properties being sold to retail buyers. And the biggest difference between an assignment and a novation is an assignment is not a financeable transaction. You cannot assign a property to an FHA, VA, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac borrower. It's not a, a lendable transaction. A novation is. So that's the hopefully a, a decent overview of, of, of what a novation is. No, that's excellent, man. I think uh, it was funny because we were on the phone right around maybe December, January. And I remember you were kind of like working that off like, yeah, it sounds like this. Like, that's that's pretty good. And I was like, man, that's a, the perfect way to describe it. So yeah. with 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 that type of thing, I know you so it starts out just the same way. Someone really would know, know somebody go looking for a wholesale deal and then doing some marketing, look for some distressed sellers. Do you go out of your way to market for novations or, or brewer method type properties? Or do you just do regular marketing like everybody else? And well, then you look at the decision tree. Yeah, so it, it started as just marketing like everybody else looking for distressed sellers. But when we do that, these other people naturally come into our funnel, right? Like we, we don't say, I want a distressed seller that's willing to sell it for 40 cents on the dollar. So we get people that are going, well, let me see what this is all about. Or I'm curious, or this would be kind of nice if I could sell it this way, but I'm not going to give it away, right? So matter of fact, I found that about uh, 70 to 80% of our, of our leads are not good wholesale opportunities. Uh, a really good wholesale opportunity is a distressed seller that is willing to sell it for a discount and has a property that needs a ton of work. That's literally about 15 to 20% of all leads. So the other 75 to 80%, we don't have a solution for, right? So what I found is, is I got the beginning of my novation deals without doing any specialized marketing because they were already calling in anyway. But as I got more and more comfortable, I've been doing innovation since 2000, uh, gosh, not, uh, eight, 2008, nine. And what I realized is I would start doing television and my results would be like 40, 50% better than other people's. I would start doing radio and I'd get better results. I'd do PPC and I'd get better results. And when I looked at it, it's because 45% of my deals are innovations. So where most people, you know, if they do 100 net leads, they should get 10 
good wholesale opportunities, it's normally I've seen about 10% of net leads should turn into wholesale transactions where I'm closer to like 14, 15%. It's not that I'm a better salesperson. It's not that we do a better job marketing. It's not that we're, it's just that I have this other thing that I can do, right? Like everybody's trying to fit every single seller into this super distressed fixer upper buy at pennies on the dollar box. And the reality is, is 80% of your people aren't going to give their house away. They're just not. Right. So every time we try and take someone that has a decent house that's kind of motivated and we try and force them into this effed up house that's super distressed, they go, No, I don't want it. No, thank you. You guys are crooks. You're a scam, low baller. Get out of my house. Right. Like uh, that's how I got punched in the face, by the way. So, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 um, I think it's the new way of doing business. Um, I'm convinced that this is wholesale 2.0. Five years from now, you won't talk to a wholesaler that is not doing novations. And matter of fact, it should be the way that you you should lead with novations and only do wholesale deals when you have to. I love that, man. I think it's so interesting. And I hadn't thought about it before, but you know, when we do the marketing stuff, it's it's a lot of like, hey, we want everything dirty, distressed, like full of crap, falling apart. And now I'm almost thinking like somebody that might be a great candidate for this type of deal might not even call you because they think that their house isn't in that condition. And like, well, so like, if you, if you were to run into like, you know, I love these at family gatherings and you run into like the aunt that you only see once a year and you go, um, yeah, uh, you know, aunt Sue, I'm, I'm in real estate and go, Oh, what kind are you a realtor? No, I'm not a realtor. Um, I flip houses. They'll go, Oh, you buy really messed up houses in foreclosure, right? Like the, the, the normal person, not even a consumer, if you ask them what, what house flippers do or wholesalers or whatever term you want to use, they generally think we buy really messed up houses from people that are distressed or, you know, just losing their house. And the reality is, is they're pretty accurate. Like those are the only people that on a consistent basis are crazy enough to sell their homes for half of what it's worth. Like it's like the, it's the stupidest thing you could possibly do. Let's be, I mean, let's be completely <laughs> honest, right? We tell ourselves that we, you know, they don't have options, but more so today, if, if you have a house and, 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 and you need to sell it in two weeks and it's trashed, you literally can call a real estate agent and they can put it on the market. And it's probably going to sell for what we would pay for it. What we do and buying homes that need work has become way more mainstream than it was 15 years ago. Right. So you know, when, when we focus on that one little niche, we alienate literally 90% of the homeowner population. And it makes it really hard for us to, to have a sustainable business. Um, because as you know, we saw it with hedge funds, right? And initially it was like, oh man, these are going to chew up, you know, my market share. And then what, what we realized was hedge funds become a great buyer for a lot of wholesalers. But then when rates changed and all that stuff shifted, hedge funds almost completely exited the market. And you had a bunch of people you know, that had a, a hedge fund model that couldn't do deals for six months and they had to relearn the game of wholesale and they had to go out and build a buyer's list. And, you know, the, the one thing about notions, we're selling to retail buyers. I've been around since 2005. The retail market has always been the prevailing market. It's always outperforming the fixer upper buyer, right? Like when we went through the market correction in 2008, there was a ton of first time home buyers, FHA buyers out there trying to buy a house. There were some challenges because they couldn't get mortgages. And most fix and flippers that were operating in 05, 06, and 07 had their lines of credit shut down. They couldn't borrow hard money anymore. Private lenders pulled all their money out of the market. Retail buyers were still out trying to buy homes, right? So when we operate at that retail market, particularly like for us, we focus at or around the median price in any market that we're in. There's always, you know, for the last, I mean, since like 2015, there's been more buyers than there has been sellers. And when you're a seller, that's a good situation to be in. I love that, man. That was actually going to be my follow-up question was like advice or tips on if there's better conditions and price points to focus on for innovation. So median income, middle income stuff, that's the ticket. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, uh, before when the market was going nuts, like literally the silliest thing you could do is wholesale property. Cause you could, you, you could, put it on the MLS and it would sell for 50, 60, 70 grand more than whatever you think your pocket buyer, your buyer's list was paying. I remember wholesaling deals and going, I can't believe Matt paid that much for that house. What the hell is he thinking? 
<laughs> right? I made 60 grand on that wholesale deal. What's he? And then I'd see three months later, Matt sold that thing for 50 grand more than what I thought ARV was. And I was like, shit, why did I wholesale that? I wish I wouldn't have done that. Right. So then what we started doing is I started taking every one of my deals and taking it to the MLS. Right. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm, so I really stopped. I mean, I stopped wholesaling to my buyers list. I would cherry pick every once in a while. And some of these guys I got relationships with for 10 plus years. Um, but our primary exit strategy long ago flipped from, you know, my buyers list to what I think is the best buyers list in the world, which is the MLS. I love that, man. Is It's an interesting point here. So if you're putting these properties on the MLS now where a lot of investors, aside from a couple of the states where you need a license, they don't have a real estate license unless it's for a referral fee. Is there any benefit to having a real estate license for these type of brewer method innovations? Um, yeah, I think there's an advantage. Uh, however, for anybody that listens to me or, or I coach, um, I don't like, you know, I don't like for Nick to be the guy that sat at the kitchen table and bought the house and then novate it and Nick be the realtor that's listing it. I like to create a degree of separation between those two. Um, not that there's anything ethically or moral, uh, you know, that's wrong about it. I just don't like the optics. Um, generally that pushback would come from like your real estate agents where they're going, how could you go and, and buy the house and disclose to the seller that you're purchasing it and you're a licensed agent and you told them the house was only worth a hundred and then you listed it two days later for 150. Um, there's a very logical explanation. As long as you disclose to the seller, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm not telling their, their house is only worth a hundred. I'm only saying I'm willing to pay a hundred. What I'm willing to pay and what it's worth are two different things, Right. Um, so I don't think there's anything, you know, ethically or legally wrong with it. Matter of fact, I know there's not, I just don't, I don't like the optics of it, right? It just creates the opportunity for somebody to say, you're not being a good real estate agent. Um, so what I think that the best practice is, is to have a relationship with a licensed agent that you're able to list all of your innovations with. The other part of that is it's, if you think about it, um, if someone were to teach, you know, if you were like, hey, um, teach me how to be a wholesaler, you would say, hey, we're going to go out and find deals and we're going to spend 50% of our team, our, our effort finding deals, and then 50% of our time finding buyers for our deals. When you do novations, it removes literally the entire disposition's responsibility off of your plate, right? Like you, most people that I see wholesalers, they have this, you know, up and down revenue. It's because they get five deals in. They stop marketing, they stop attending appointments, right? They stop doing all this stuff because they got to go out and sell those five deals. And then they go, whew, I got those all closed. I, I got a nice check. And then they look and they go, they got nothing in the pipeline, right? So like having that balance of, of am I focused on marketing and acquisitions? And am I shifting my focus to dispositions creates inconsistent income for most wholesalers. It's one of the toughest things about scaling, which everybody says, right? It's like the magic S word. I want to scale. I want to scale. I want to scale. It's like, well, let's talk about what that requires of you. Do you know what that means, right? Like you're going to have to teach somebody to do, you know, there's, there's a pace that people learn at and there's a much slower pace that they can teach at. And you can't scale until you learn how to teach. You can only do so much right? Like if you, and you can read anybody's description of scale, they're not going to say you have to do more. That's not, that's, that's not scaling. That's chaos. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, that's my two cents on that. No, there's so much gold in that, especially when you talk about taking 50% of your time out so you can focus more on literally like finding more deals, finding better deals. And, and I like that too, because one of the biggest things you're seeing wholesalers freak out about about the market now is like, well, my buyers buy boxes are changing and the hedge funds are pulling back and all that stuff. And you're going, well, it really doesn't matter to you. No, like it, it's, so that's the thing, right? Like it's, um, why, why did that happen? Right? Because buyers were saying, hey, rates are going up. I think prices are going to come down. So they started adjusting their price on what they thought the future value was. Meanwhile, we're dealing with sellers who are still operating on what the value was 90 days ago. That creates a massive gap. Sellers want what it was worth 90 days ago and buyers want to pay what it's going to be worth six months from now. Those numbers do not line up, right? It's like sellers are here, our, our cash buyers are here. Meanwhile, retail buyers aren't saying what's it going to be. They don't care what it's worth in 10 years, <laughs> right? Can I afford it? Am I approved? And how does it compare to the other houses on the market? By the way, in my market and most markets across the US, there's nothing else to buy. Inventory is, is, is a huge issue, 
like I'll pull entire school districts in our market right now. And we, we cover, you know, we, we've, we, we cover all the way from South Central PA down into Baltimore County, all the way to like suburbs of Philly, like Chester, Lehigh County. It's over probably three and a half, four million people total in our markets. And I'll pull a house, a comp that we're getting ready to innovate. And I'll say, hey, the sold comps look like it's worth 229. One thing I started doing when the market shifted is I started putting a lot of um, time into looking at active comps because I want to make sure that inventory levels don't start to rise and create you know, an issue uh, for me. But I'll look at an entire school district between like 250 and 400, and there will be one house for sale, right? So I'll go, well, man, I thought it was worth 250. Might as well price it at 279. What are they going to say? They can't say, well, I saw another house that was better. There's nothing else to buy. So we've seen a lot of success with that where comp support 220. There's no active inventory for anybody to choose from. The house is in pretty good shape. We're, we're, we're doing a little bit of a price bump, right? And, and, and pricing it maybe 10, 5 to 10% over what the comp support and because there's no inventory, it's selling. That's the opposite of what a buyer would do because they're going to go, man, there's no inventory. I can't really find any comps. I'm worried that the values will go down. And your cash buyer is going to actually say, I know the comps are 229, but I'm going to buy it based on 219. And I normally would want to make 30 grand, but I'm going to pad in 40 because I lost my ass on a flip I did six months ago. I don't want to sell to that guy right now, right? Like it's almost the opposite of what I was saying before when I thought wholesalers were paying too much money because they were looking three months down the road. I literally know people in masterminds that they went to their buyers when the market shifted and said, okay, what's your plan? And they said, you know, for the last year, we would buy a house with no profit penciled and we saw 20% appreciation over the course of, of a quarter and our average rehab takes three months. So we would literally buy the house with no profit, knowing that a three-month rehab, the value was going up 25%. So on a $700,000 house, we knew we were going to have 140 grand of appreciation in three months. There was actual people that have money, adults that were, that, that graduated high school or preschool and, and, and were like business people that were buying properties with no profit at the day they closed because they could reasonably, I mean, we saw it month over month, quarter over quarter, year over year, there was consistent record appreciation. And they came back and said, now we're not doing that, right? We can't count on that appreciation anymore. So now we're back to being the opposite of that. We're projecting pricing decline. So when we're penciling the deal, it's 50 grand profit, but we're, we're saying ARV is going to go down 15% in the next quarter. It's really hard to sell to somebody like that. Because retail buyers are still paying today's rates. So I, I don't, you know, we don't really, we buy wholesale and sell wholesale and retail. I don't really, I don't like to sell. I mean, you work so hard to find a deal and then you just pass it off to somebody else for 12 grand. Screw that. Like we're doing all the hard work. There's nothing harder today than to find a stinking deal. It's the hardest thing in the world right? Why give it away? Position yourself with the seller, get permission to take it to the open market, negotiate yourself reasonable access, take that thing to the MLS. And there's a buffet of buyers over there. You got retail buyers that'll pay cash. You got fixer up buyers that are, are investors, but are looking for their first two or three properties and working with a real estate agent. They're not on your buyers list because they've never bought a deal before. What do you think a first time investor pays compared to guys like you and I? A lot more. Yeah. Ask anybody like, Hey, do you remember your first house? They'll go, Oh shit, man. Yeah. I <laughs> oh, that's the guy I want to sell to. Right. So where are those people? Literally go to any wholesaler and they say, pull a buyer's list. What do they say? Take the most active buyer in the market. Well, that SOB pays 60 cents on the dollar. So I got to buy it 50 cents. Okay. Maybe it's only okay to do that until you know better. Right. And then you, you, you got to, you got to innovate. And today, and it, listen, as I was doing this and developing it, I had to fail my way into this stuff, right? I've created an entire library of documents and disclosures and best practices, but I've been, that's been, you know, over the course of 15 years, I've done that. There's no excuse for somebody not to be knowing novations there. It's just, it's, it's Matt Andrews actually says, the only reason you're not doing novations because you don't know how that's the only logical explanation. People say it's illegal in my state. Bullshit. People say it doesn't work. You're full of crap. It, 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 right? Like it's it's. There's literally no reason to do it other than you don't know how. 
I love that, man. Matt Edge, one of the nicest guys out there, man. Shout out to him. Such a good dude. Yeah. So um, a couple of two more things on here, and then I want to get into actually how you're helping people get into this and learn this and do this. But when you're analysis, uh, analyzing these, I love to hear it because I've heard you word this really well about the problem with basing properties and trying to figure out ARV versus versus what you use, which I believe yeah. is CCRV. Yeah. So again, we just talked about it, right? There was particularly, we, I mean, it, it's been this way for the longest time, right? You blast out a deal and you think ARV is 330 and 75% of people are going to go, it's less. They're never going to tell you it's more, right? But some people think it's worth more. Um, it's this moving target and so much can change because do they finish the basement, not finish the basement? Did they put new siding on? Did he do a crappy rehab? What level of trim did they use? ARV is a very discretionary number. There's, there's a lot of variables that can impact that. Same thing with rehab. I'll look at it and say, this would cost me 50K. There might be another guy that'll look at it and can get it done for 35. Maybe he does the work himself. Um, he's got a buddy that's a carpenter or a drywaller, right? That does it on the cheap, even though he takes four months to do it, but he can you know save a little bit of money. Um, so there's all these variables that go into the calculation of ARV minus reno, right? Um, CCRV, which innovations means current condition retail value. Simple, it says, if I took the property the way it looks today, I didn't touch it. I didn't sweep the sidewalk and I listed it on the MLS. What would a retail buyer pay for it? That's it, right? That's a straight comp analysis. Any real estate agent that's in your market can do that in 10 minutes. Um, you can do it with all, you know, there's plenty of tools out there that you can use to pull comps as well. And then all you're doing is saying, what's a, re you know, what's a reasonable margin from CCRV to, to the profit I want to make? And then I need to offer the seller below that. It's a far more predictable number. Retail buyers um, are emotional, right? Where, you know, when we're selling to investors, it's a, it's a very logical, um, like you can't move an investor from his offer price oftentimes. If he's only going to make 20K and he offers you 140 for a house, if you move him 20 grand, he's not making money. $20,000 to a home buyer is like a hundred bucks a month. And it's a difference between them renting and owning a home. It's a difference between them, needing to be out of their apartment in 60 days and having a place they can call home for the next 55 years. Right. So we're, we're, we're moving the playing field, right. We're dealing with people that are distressed and motivated and, you know, looking for a, a custom solution that we happen to be able to, to, to offer. And then we're selling to the opposite side of the emotional spectrum of people that are super excited about buying a property. So we're buying from people that can't wait to get out and we're selling to people that can't wait to get in. That's the second time I've done that with you, where I came up with something that I should mark that down, right? Innovation Dude, that is, that's amazing right there. That was so, that's so, there's not a better tagline than that. That was You're awesome. good at extracting this stuff from <laughs> me. I should have a call with you once a week because you do yeah, a good man. job of nurturing my creative spirit, but that's literally what it is, right? We're buying from people that can't wait to get out and we're selling to people that can't wait to get in. Dude, that is so good. Wow. Like that just, that was a, that was a nugget right there, man. That's amazing. Yeah. So talk about now, like the brewer method, what you're doing as far as coaching, mentoring classes. Oh, you mentioned having documents and stuff. How are, how are you helping people now learn? Yeah. This so it's, uh, you know, I don't talk about it nearly enough, um, but uh, I never really shared this information up until about a year and a half ago with anybody other than folks that were in these like tiny little mastermind circles that I'm in. And uh, I gave a presentation about four years ago at a mastermind about novations. Uh, I didn't even think it was that big of a deal. I was like, I got to share something with this wonderful group of people that have, you know, had a big impact on my life. What could I talk about? And I was like, well, let me talk about this. We do pretty good with this stuff. And I gave this presentation and I had like a line of 200 people wait for me outside the door. And they had a thousand questions. How do you do this? I need the paperwork. So I spent like the next three months on tons of Zoom calls, helping people implement it. And then as the word started to get out, there was just more and more people that would call me and ask for help. And I was like, man, I, I, I can't, I either have to say no, or I'm going to have to start charging for this. And um, so I started asking people, I was like, man, I don't know that I can help you, but if this costs money for me to get you on the phone with my attorney, for me to get you on the phone with my TC, for me to get you on the phone, would you be willing to compensate them? And everybody's like, yeah, like this will make me a half million dollars next year. I'll pay you whatever you want. So um, a good friend of mine, Steve Trang, um, happened to, to help me, you know, get it low. He had already had built a community, obviously with, you know, uh, real estate disruptors and he, he teaches um, sales. And he was like, dude, I'll help you set it up. 
Um, so we set it up about, uh, I think maybe two years ago. So I took all of my documents. Um, I recorded like 11 training videos. Um, you know, I, I did all kinds of, I started doing weekly calls. So now we have over 415 people now that I've brought into the community in the last year and a half. Um, so we, we offer the full library of documents. Um, we offer, um, weekly coaching calls for 12 weeks. We found that at that 12 week mark, most people have done at least one or more transactions. So they've had access to us throughout the entire process. And after they do their first one or two deals, they, they really got the hang of it because the, the, the person that we cater to is the, the seasoned investor right now. And uh, so they know how to do a deal, right? Like they know how to look at a HUD. They know how to write a contract. They know how to get a yes from a seller. Um, they probably have relationships with real estate agents and understand how to do that. Um, so we do 12 weeks worth of coaching calls to get them through their first couple deals. Um, and then I've recorded 11 videos that step-by-step -step teach you how to like identify what's a novation deal look like, how to overcome objections, how to transition from your wholesale offer to what we call the equity protection program. Because novation doesn't mean anything to a seller, right? It's like, if you say, well, have you done a novation? They're like, what the hell is that? Right. So we, we're, we've programmed certain language into our scripts and our processes that really resonate and convert these types of leads at a super high rate. That's awesome, man. So you mentioned something there that I want to point out because you talked about overcoming objections with sellers and how to transition from your normal wholesale offer into the novation offer. I've heard you on multiple different stages and podcasts giving little tidbits here and there on seller objections and building rapport with the seller. I hear all the people that talk about you talk about you being known for like your innovation brewer method, but I was blown away with your objections and sales skills and rapport building stuff, man. It was some of the best stuff I've seen out there. Is that part of the, the course that you get? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we hyper-focus in the beginning of the course on like how to get you, you know, you don't need to know how to TC it. You don't need to know how to, you know, uh, get a HUD. You don't need to know how to do all the backhand stuff or the back half of the stuff until you actually get someone to say, yeah, that sounds good. I'll sign up for the equity protection program. So we spent a ton, a ton of time and energy on the scripting and the wording of Nick, you know, here's what happens. People go, ah, Nick, this sounds pretty good, man. You, know, you guys are buying it the way it sits. I, I really like the fact that it's, it sounds, you know, much easier. And I just can't come down to 140. I, I, I can't do less than 180,000. Like I literally, I, I just did a testimonial with someone yesterday, their first deal. It was a no, like they seller said, no, no, thank you. And the buyer was out. They were done. They came up 30 grand in their offer, right? Got the seller to say yes to the equity protection program, which really means in its simplest form, you need to get the seller to agree to a 45 to 90 day settlement, which the great news is most of these people that have decent houses that say no to your wholesale offer, they're already saying to you, Eric, I'm in no hurry. Eric, that all sounds good, but I'm in no rush, right? So when you talk about 45 to 90 business days, it's not a big deal. They're already telling you that's okay. The second thing you got to get is reasonable access. You absolutely have to have reasonable access to show the property to do a novation, right? Because we're going to sell it to retail buyers. And then number three, you have to disclose and get permission to take it to the open market because it's going to be on Zillow. It's going to be on Redfin. It's going to be on you know all these different websites because we're listing it in the MLS to make sure that we get it in front of retail buyers. So those are the only three things you need to get a seller to be flexible on, right? So all we're doing is, is pivoting from, you know, cash seven days as is to they're saying no to that. And we're saying, well, if 75% of that stayed the same, but we went from, you know, say five day close, which I heard you say earlier that maybe you're not in a big rush. So I'm guessing maybe 45 to 90 business days might not be a big deal to you. They're like, no, no, I don't. I mean, I don't care if it takes a year as long as I get the amount of money I want. Okay, cool. I'll write that down. Right. And then it's like, well, you know, in order for us to, to get that kind of money, I, I'd need to make sure that I could get your property quality property qualified for our equity protection program, which, you know, I got to make sure the condition of the property and all that stuff fits. Um, but then I would need you to, to, to provide us reasonable access. And then I just need your permission to take it to the open market. If, if you want to hear more about that and you think that those two things aren't a big deal, I, I feel like I could get you all the way up to that number that you're looking for are certainly darn close. Is that something you'd like to hear more about? Or is that just a waste of our time? And they're going to say, no one's going to say, no, you know, get out of my kitchen. Like that just <laughs> doesn't happen. Right. 
Um, and, and, you know, so we teach, like, you may notice my tone changes. I'm, I'm very curious. I'm, I'm not assumptive. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, very harmless in our language and the way that we present it. And that's the stuff that makes the difference, right? So we teach all of that stuff so that people can go from wholesale cash, quick close, low ball to, Hey, I think I have a creative solution. We do this all the time for folks kind of in a situation like you, because we want to be able to help more people. If you want to spend an extra 10 minutes, I'd be happy to walk you through it and see if I couldn't get you qualified. And you'd be amazed because everybody goes, well, why wouldn't they just list it? I don't know. Hold on a second. Hey, Nick, just curious if I could get you all the way up to 170, that number that you had suggested, and I needed 45 to 90 business days, and you were able to work with me to get that done. I'm just curious, any reason why you wouldn't just list it at that point? You know what's really cool about that? They'll tell you. Like, well, I don't want to pay. You don't realize how many people will sell it to you for 30 grand less because they don't want to pay an agent $10,000. That's real, right? I don't need to agree with it. You just need to understand it. That's people will, will, they'll take less money to spite a realtor because most people have had, let's face it, they may have had a bad experience with a real estate agent right? Same with car salesmen, same with, you know, it's that people are wired to not trust salespeople. And the most recognizable salesperson in real estate is a realtor. Now, I bet 10 years from now, that'll change. It, it may be that the wholesaler and investors, the more visible person, it's up to us to to, to either lose that trust or, or earn more of it based on how we we do business. But anyway, the, I mean, it's it's people are their biggest roadblock. Like we get in our head that nobody will do it. We dude, we list every house in the MLS, every house, nobody cares. We tell ourselves, you know, if you ask people, why do people sell to you? Well, they don't want to list it. Are you sure? Or was there something else going on in their situation that made them want to deal with an investor versus dealing with a real estate agent? It's often not dealing with showings. And even if they say showings, we do this cool thing where we ask showings, <laughs> just repeat it back to them showings? And they'll go, well, it's not so much the showings. It's just, I don't want to have to be here to let people in. Oh, well, yeah, we, we have this thing. It's a um, lockbox. We can put <laughs> it on. And, uh, you know, we only reserve those for our, our VIP clients, but I bet I could get you one. And then that way you, you wouldn't have to be here. Would that be helpful? Oh yeah. Yeah. As long as I don't have to be here, you guys can come and go as you please. Like literally most of the stuff we think is important to people doesn't mean shit. We just keep recycling this same thing in our mind, um, you know, over and over and over again, instead of just literally, that's what we teach in sales is just ask, shut up and ask more questions and let people tell you what's going on. Stop assuming because we start trying to solve this problem. Meanwhile, the seller's trying to solve a completely different problem and you can't understand why you can't get them to say yes. It's because you're trying to, you're trying to give somebody penicillin that's got a runny nose. They need a Kleenex, not you know, antibiotics. So anyway, I get a little geeked out on sales and start <laughs> talking about that stuff, but we share all of that stuff. We don't just teach innovations. A lot of our calls, you know, uh, are about sales, particularly in the very beginning and how to get more yeses. That's awesome, man. I think that there's massive value there. I know we're running out of time, but before I let you go and before we give some final plugs on how people can find you, what's your opinion? How, let's say the market starts to move uh, towards the buyer's market. Things change a little bit. Interest rates go up. How is that going to affect Novation agreements in the Brewer method. Man, I don't. So listen, we we use we use Novations to get our properties to what I think is the world's best buyers list, which is the MLS. Hedge funds buy off the MLS. Retail buyers buy off the MLS. New investors buy off the MLS. Fixer upper buyers buy off the MLS. Cash owner occupants buy off the MLS. <laughs> I'm a big believer that no matter the market cycle, whichever one of these five buyers is the most desirable, will be shopping on the MLS. Here's a good thing: if someone goes. Yeah, I get more money on the MLS. I'll go, or I get more money for my buyers list. Okay, cool. How many deals or flips did you buy off the MLS next last year? Well, none. Why? Dude, prices are crazy on the MLS. What's that again? Prices are crazy on the MLS. People are paying way. I don't know what they're doing. These folks are crazy. That sounds like where you should be selling your deals, bro. <laughs> right? Like, Think about it. People go, yeah, man, I can't buy. It. So what, what, when one door closes, another one opens first 10 years of my life, I bought 250 deals a year off the MLS. 
you gotta remember I started in 05, 06, 07, 08. We were buying the best deals I've gotten in my life off of HUD, Fannie, Freddie, Wells Fargo. I was buying homes for you know, pennies on the dollar back then. And then slowly as the market started to recover, the economy got back to normal, people could borrow money again, investor confidence started to, to, to renormalize. I started to drift further and further away from buying off the MLS and, you know, 2012 to 15, I had to really, really get good at off market direct to seller. So we've got a good 10 years of, of, you know, running, we'll spend a million five this year in marketing direct to seller, right? So we, we see leads at a very massive scale. Um, so we notice, you know, trends and opportunities. So it's really hard to buy on the MLS, um, which makes it a great place to sell, regardless Fantastic. of the market cycle. Dude, that, that's goal right there, man. So anybody looking to learn more about this, work with you, contact you, connect with you, mentors, all that kind of stuff, what's the best way to reach out to you and learn from you, connect with you, all those things? Talk everything, Eric Brewer, the Brewer Method. Yeah, best place to, to keep up with me is on Instagram. Um, I put out a lot of this content. Um, I talk a lot about sales, life, management, leadership, real estate, um, all of that good stuff um, on my Instagram. So you can find me um, on Instagram. Uh, it's Eric underscore Brewer underscore invest. Um, and it's got that little blue check mark you can pay for. Um, so if you're looking for me, you can find me there. That's outstanding, man. You have brought your A-game to everything you've done. This has been no different. You've definitely brought your A-game to this podcast, and I appreciate it. Any final thoughts before we let you go about your day, sir? No, man. I appreciate the opportunity. I had a lot of fun chatting with you today, and uh, thanks for extracting what was <laughs> it. Um, you can buy from people that can't wait to get out and sell to people that can't wait to get in. I'll have to write that down. Dude, that's so good. Such good stuff there. Pleasure as always. Happy to connect with you any and every time. I highly suggest everybody checks this out. All your links and everything will be in the show notes for this show. Thank you for coming on today. Eric Moore, ladies and gentlemen, have a great day. Thanks, brother.